I want to talk to us out of the book of 1 Timothy chapter 6, back pretty close to where we were at last week, about, but you, O man of God. You know, Jesus, Paul told Timothy, and through Timothy, he's speaking to all of us, to exercise yourself toward godliness. If you take that to heart, you exercise yourself toward godliness, you're going to end up being a man of God or a woman of God. And I don't know if you believe this or not, but God desires for everybody he saves to be a man of God, to be a woman of God. And if there's ever been a shortage of something in our world today, it is godly men and godly women. And what a difference they can make. Before we read our passage, I want to read to you what even the Word of God is for. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, he says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine or for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's what Scripture's job is. It's to instruct us in righteousness, to reproof us, to correct us, to train us so that the man and woman of God can be complete. That means finished, amen? Mature to do every good work. You know, as we look here, Paul's writing to Timothy here. We've seen that last week, showing him how to conduct yourself in the house of God. And when you get to chapter 11 of chapter um, 6, verse 11, I want us to pick up what he tells Timothy toward the end. We're going to read it, then we're going to pray, and we're going to look at it to it. He says, but you, O man of God, Flee the thing, these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you have, were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to all things and before Christ Jesus who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate that you keep this commandment without spot, blameless, until the, our Lord Jesus Christ's appearing, which he will manifest in his own time. He is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen. Father, tonight, if we take time to look into your word, I pray today, Lord, that you will help us all to see that any one of us that is saved not only has potential, but the God-given ability to be men and women of God. And as you commanded and exhorted and encouraged Timothy, let us learn and see today where we might leave this place, Lord, with the understanding knowledge of what it means to be a man of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I don't know if you realize this, but nothing changes a situation more than the presence of a man of God or a woman of God. Nothing can make more difference in a home than when that daddy is a man of God and that mama is a godly woman. Nothing changes a church more than when it's filled with godly men and women. As a matter of fact, the church will never be healthy until we're healthy and growing and we're men of God. And I don't know if you... Notice, but last week when he said that, he said, exercise yourself for godliness. He says, for exercise profits this 
the body, but godliness profits not only this life, but also the life to come. And then he says, godliness is profitable for all things. In this chapter right here in verse 6, he says, now godliness with contentment is great gain. I don't know if you ever thought about this, but oh, what a profit. What profitable things come and what great gain the world has realized and experienced because of the men of God that has walked upon this earth. I want you to think about this. Think of the profitable things this world has gained because of a man of God. I don't know if you've ever really thought and looked out about it, but where would we be without the God-man Jesus? Where would we be without 12 apostles that sold out and gave up their life to follow him, to obey him, and to go and carry out the Great Commission? Where would we be without the original first generation church fathers who planted the churches? And guys, I don't know if you know much about church history, but you can't much think about the Protestant Reformation, which we're all products of. But I don't know if you ever realized this, but how many of you have heard of Martin Luther? And I'm not talking about the Lutheran church. I'm talking about a young monk who was a called godly man who was living in the days when the church had gone dark, where it was just a terrible condition. It was corrupt. It was, it was not even teaching the true gospel. And this young man, one man of God, took and wrote a thesis that they call the 95 Theses of 95 things that was wrong with the then Catholic Church. And he went to the Wittenberg Castle and nailed it on the front door of the castle, which was kind of like a public bulletin board. And at that time, the printing shop, the printer had been invented, the Gutenberg printer. They took it and they began to mass produce that thesis that he wrote in their original local German language, and all of a sudden, light began to enter the darkness. You know, would we have had a Reformation, a Protestant Reformation without Martin Luther? I don't know. History doesn't tell us, but what history does tell us, because of him, we did have a Protestant Reformation. And because of that, we had what has evolved into what we are today as Baptists. You know, you can't hold the King James Bible if you know the history and understand without thinking of a man named William Tyndale. How many of you have ever heard of that man? William Tyndale lost his life because of his unwillingness to cease and listen to a corrupt government and ungodly authority that did not want the common man to have the Bible in his own language. He said, if I have my way, I'll make it where the plowman knows more of the word of God than the clergy, amen? And he kept on and he kept on. And because of him, he is the main one who made a English translation of the word of God available. When they killed him in 1536, the last words he said was, Lord, Open the eyes of the king of England. Did God ever answer that man's final cry? Because just within less than 100 years later, 1611, a king named King James authorized that they get a group of translators and they came up with the 1611 authorized version of the King James Bible. No other book in the history of the world, nor will it ever again have more impact 
and bring more profit and more good into the world than the King James Bible. It changed the world of the Western Hemisphere. That one man made that difference. You can't help but think, where would America be without the great spiritual awakenings? And where would those spiritual awakenings have come from without men of God like George um, Whitfield, Jonathan Edwards, John Wesley, who spent their life going from place to place, preaching not just on Sunday, but every day. And through the fire of their pulpits, they brought a spiritual awakening to America that saved us more than once from falling away from God's grace and favor on our land. What about the great revivals? How many of you have heard about things that's happened in the world and plus less in America? But D.L. Moody, oh man, he, he, thousands upon thousands came to the Lord through D.L. Moody. Think of people like, you may have not never heard of George Finney, Billy Sunday, but where would we be without a Billy? You know who, Graham. My answer is, will we see another Billy Graham in our generation? Because Lord knows we need one. Friends, I don't know if you understand this, but it's the men of God that make a difference in your life, in this community, and you are one of them. Friends, nothing will change your home more than when you step up to the plate and become the man of God God wants you to be, fathers and husbands. Same with you mothers. Friends, I don't know about you, but there's men in my life. I thank God for a man of God named Pete Maravich. Y'all have heard of him, the basketball player. He was at a little Baptist church, Madisonville Baptist Church. He just went there on a Wednesday, famous. He went there because he'd just sneak in. You never knew when he was coming. And he'd come there from here to time. He had a couple churches. He would just slip in. He was there on a Wednesday night when my mama made a prayer request for her son named Marvin, who had been put in Greenbrier Rehabilitation Hospital. And would you pray for him tonight? And he heard her, and after that church service, that Pete Maravich went to my mama, said, Miss Cooper, I heard you request prayer for your son. Would it be okay with you if I go to him and talk to him in his room? My mama said, sure. I idolized Pete Maravich. I grew up in Louisiana, son. We all played like Pete Maravich the best we could. When he walked in my room, my mama told me, Pete Maravich is coming to see you. I'm like, yeah, right. When he walked in my room... He didn't come to talk about LSU basketball. He sat down and he shared the gospel with me. He told me about Jesus. I didn't get saved that day, but he planted a seed that has never quit growing since that day. From there, God kept putting people in my life. Dusty McElmore, my pastor, who still I just talked to last week. And he put other people like Ellis Leverett, who's going to be with the Lord, who is my preaching mentor. And he's put people ever since that I come here when I left where I was at. I had men that he had put in my life that held me accountable, that were my above me to help challenge me, men of God that I could look forward to. I come here not knowing what I would do or who I would be with. I went to a cowboy church, something I'd have never even dreamed I went to, much less began to go to. And he connected me with a man named Dennis Aaron who has been an unbelievable blessing in my life. Let me tell you, my friends, think of the men of God and the women. How many of you had a godly mother who prayed, who a godly father who would take the word of God and not only bring it to church, but live it out 
and made a difference. Let me tell you what made America great one day because households was filled with men of God, not churchmen. Men who walked with the Holy Spirit by the power of God with integrity, with character, with God-likeness, Christ-likeness in their life. And they was filled with a lifestyle that only comes from God. Friends, just think about this. Where would this world be without the man of God if you took him out? Because God does it, but he does it through us. And I was looking at this, and I was just overwhelmed. I had another sermon I was going to preach, and God changed me yesterday morning. I don't like when he does that. (laughs) I had it all easy. But friends, I want you to think about this. I'm kind of like David when David said, Help, Lord, for the godly man ceases. I ask you, the godly man ain't as common as he used to be in America. For the faithful disappear from among the sons of men. Where are the faithful, godly men that will stand on the word of God that won't compromise the standard of God's right and wrong, who stand on the truth, who raise their families the way Christ says we should? Where's those mamas that used to be? that would put their family and their home first and, and, and set an example of sacrificial love and give everything up for their family and lived out the life of Christ before us. That's what makes strong homes. That's what makes strong churches. That's what makes strong nations, my friend. And friends, think about this. Isaiah said, the righteous man perishes and no one takes it to heart. I don't know about you, but does it not worry you that it's hard to find a righteous man. Friends, look what he says. And devout men are taken away while no one understands. I want you to think about it. How many of you believe me and would think that if we got a true man of God in the White House, he could make a difference for America? How many of you believe if we had true men and women of God in the courthouses that justice again could be dispensed? especially in the Supreme Court. How many of you believe that in the house of God it's just expected that it ought to be overseen and pastored by a man of God filled with men and women of God who minister in the name of the Lord? But guys, I'm not here to ask you this morning who lives in the White House. I'm not here to ask you this morning who sits on the court house. And I ain't even here to ask you Who's over? The Lord's house. I'm here to ask you, does a man of God live in your house? Are you a man of God this morning? Are you a woman of God? Are you someone who God has taken and saved and changed you by his grace to the point you are now a man of God? Because that's what he tells him at the end of all of this. Timothy, I'll give you all this instruction I'll show you all the things you need to do to conduct yourself and how to do it in the house of God, but you can have all of the Sunday school answers. You can know all the Bible study questions and know how to answer them, but if you ain't a man or woman of God, they'll do you no good. Knowledge puffeth up without the Spirit of God filling us and giving us the life of God in us, and that's what a man of God is. And friends, I want you to look at with me this morning. You know why they're so hard to find men of God and women of God today? Because you don't get it by taking a casual approach, coming to sit on a pew on Sunday and go out and be like everybody else throughout the rest of the week. You got to fight to be a man of God. And you got to give it everything you got. I don't know if you noticed it, 
But one of the main ways that Paul describes the Christian life is spiritual warfare. It's fighting. My friend, listen. He says right there in Timothy, one verse below where we started. He said, and you, but you, O man of God, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold of eternal life to which we're also called you were called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. How many in here has confessed Christ in the presence of a church? Been baptized. Friends, if you've confessed him and you meant it in your heart, you have all that it takes of God's grace to become a godly man of God and a child of God. Friends, listen, but you've got to fight the good fight. Look at what he says if you just look over to the first chapter in Timothy, when he starts out, verse 18, look what he says. This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. Paul didn't beat around the bush. If you're going to be a man of God, you're going to come into opposition. You're going to come into difficulties. Friends, he went around, and, he, and in the second book of 2 Timothy, look at chapter 2 with me. It's just all right here together. Look at what he says in chapter 2. He says, you therefore, verse 3 of 2 Timothy chapter 2, you therefore must endure hardship. If there's one thing an American doesn't like because he's so spoiled and pampered and, and just is he don't want to endure hardship. If you're not willing to endure hardship for the cause of Christ, you will never be a man or a woman of God. You say, I don't like that. That's not what the TV preacher says. The TV preacher may not be telling you the whole truth. And I want you to see what he says below that. He says, you therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Friends, if you got saved, you got enlisted. You've been drafted, my friend, if you've been born again. You've been brought into the greatest army that'll ever be, the army of God. And you know what he says? He said in one chapter over, in chapter 3, he says, but everyone who desires to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You know why? Because there's an enemy out there that's real. And he uses people just like God uses men of God. Satan uses his people. So guys, if you're going to be a man of God, you've got to make ready to join the fight. It takes a battle. It takes someone who's willing to fight. But you know what else he says? The next thing he says right above that, he told him. He said, but you old man of God also, you must flee. I don't know if you ever thought about this. He says, but you old man of God, flee these things. Friends, there's things you got to run from. I know what we think of. Man, cowards flee. Not always. I think of Joseph when his master's wife, Potiphar's wife, kept trying to get him to come and lay with me and was trying to seduce him. She finally gave up one day and got so desperate for him, she just come in and grabbed his robe, pulled it off of him. You know what he did? He fled. He ran. That was wisdom, my friend. There's some things you're a fool to not run from. And friends, not only did he flee, but David, who faced Goliath, he fled from Saul. For years and years, he ran and hid in caves and lived in the wilderness. 
Why did he flee? Not that he feared Saul, but he feared Saul because he represented God. He said, I'll not put my hands against God's anointed. And he fled from Saul. Not only did he flee from Saul, but years later, his own son Absalom raised up against him, brought a rebellion, was coming to take him. He was in Jerusalem, in the castle, in the, in the, the, the king, the, the palace. And he got up, took his people, got on his mule, and fled the city. You know why? He said, we could win, we could overcome my son, but it'll destroy many innocent lives. And he feared it was better to flee. Friends, sometimes, I'm here to tell you, fleeing things is way more important than trying to stand against them. And some of us need to understand, what are the things he's talking about? Well, if you look back, he's talking about the previous things he's mentioned. Look at what he says when you look back with me in verse 3 of chapter 6. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to the wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which accords with godliness, he says he's proud, he knows nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words from which come envy, strife, reviling, evil suspicions, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth who suppose that godliness is a mean of gain. And look at what he says to do. He says, from these such men, withdraw yourself. Get away from them. Friends, if anybody teaches anything, look at that first verse we read, that is not in accord with the words of Jesus, that is not in accord with godliness. He says the reason he's like that is he knows nothing and he's proud. He's obsessed with things that have caused disputes. People who cause disputes and divisions, who are always causing strife, you're not supposed to yoke up with that type of person. We're supposed to look for the people who are in unity. I want you to understand something. Not all unity is good. And not all division is bad. The Bible says that if you want to be a man of God, you can't be unequally yoked to unbelievers. You think I'll pull them up, but nine out of ten times, they're going to pull you down. I'm not here to tell you you don't have a heart for them. You try to win them. You kind of witness to them. You kind of share with them, but you don't hang out with them every day. You don't befriend them. You don't become one of them. Because they're not like us. That's what he says Anyone who's teaching doctrine that is in a proposition that is not in accord with the doctrines of Jesus and godliness withdraw from that person. When a person is causing strife and problems and troubles everywhere he goes, why would you want to hang out with that person? Why would you want to become a business partner with that person? That's the kind of people that we are to withdraw from, to flee from those things. But you know the next one that he talks about, most of us find this hard to believe. He says that godliness with contentment is great gain. And friends, you know the biggest enemy to godliness for us? According to what he says right here, he says the love of money has caused many people pangs and sorrows that has took them away from the faith. Look, this is the other thing he's talking about fleeing from. He says, now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we can carry nothing out. And look at what he says. Having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root. Not the love of, not money, but the love of money 
is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Then he says, but you, old man, flee these type things. I want you to think about this. Most Americans don't see themselves as wealthy. You know why? There's such an abundance here. We're so used to having everything. You know, there's a survey that someone did, and it says that most Americans vastly underestimate how rich they are compared with the rest of the world. On a world standard, listen to this. Even the developed part of the world's poor and middle class are by global standards extremely rich compared to Paul's day and compared to undeveloped parts of the world. Do you know that 43% of the world still is considered an undeveloped population? And friends, listen to this, what they say. After adjusting the cost of living differences, a typical American still earns an income that is 10 times the income received by the typical person in the rest of the world. Not the whole world. The world that is supposedly what was I don't blank um, developed. And guys, I want you to think about this. Does a typical American understand this? No. Guys, listen. Contentment with is with godliness is great gain. But guys, contentment, what does it mean to be content? Contentment does not mean to be complacent and just be sitting around not doing nothing. Contentment is learning to be satisfied with what you have until God gives you more. Paul said, I've learned to be content with all things when I'm rich, when I'm poor, but in all things. He said, I've learned to be content. Complaining is a sure proof of discontentment. Have you learned and heard how much we are complaining right now about gas, about inflation, about our, our cost of living and our quality of living standards are being threatened? Oh, we're going to lose it. Friends, I don't know about you if you understand this, but in Paul's day, Jesus said, if you seek first the kingdom and my righteousness, I'll give you food, I'll give you clothing, I'll give you shelter. I love this quote from Tony Evans. Listen to what he says. Godliness with a full stomach, clothes on your back, and a roof on your head is enough to be content when you're godly. Anything else is a bonus. But we're so caught up in the love of money and the covetousness that rules our heart, most of us don't know what contentment is. And friends, listen, when God has blessed you and saved you, He's given you a home and you got a pantry full of food and a closet full of clothes. The last thing you're going to be if you're a man or a woman of God is complaining and murmuring because you ain't got this or you ain't got that. But friends, I don't know if you understand this. America is one of the biggest complaining and murmuring countries I've ever had to be a part of. We're so selfish, we're so self-centered, we're so impatient. We got fast food to drive through, we got microwaves, and that still ain't quick enough. We got fast internet, and we want it quicker. Everything is more, quicker, and better. It's never enough. And if you're dissatisfied and you're always wanting more, you're not a long ways from being godly. And friends, that's what Paul warned us about. If you want to be a man of God, Resist these things. Flee these things. Flee the love of money. 
I, I thank God for everything I got. I look around, I got a wish list like every man. I'd like to have this, I'd like to have that. But I'm going to tell you what, I'm satisfied, I'm happy with what I got. If he don't give me no more, I'll be all right. How about you? Friends, we don't underestimate how blessed we are in America. I seen Aiden put something. Aiden didn't go into Honduras make you realize you were a lot more blessed than you thought you was. First time I went to Mexico, man, we crossed the border. We went to one of them little border towns, and there's these people that took a city dump, a landfill that had been filled in and abandoned, and they just moved on it, and they built little huts. And I seen that, and I didn't know what poverty was till I seen that. When I went home, I was guilty ordering a hamburger for a week. I finally got over it. <laughs> Friends, there's places in the world ain't never had a hamburger. There's places in the world. We go to eat. What do we do? Where you want to eat? I don't know. You just pick because I don't care. If your wife tells you that, that's not true. Because when you pick, they say, that ain't where I'm at. You ever had that happen? We ain't hungry. Ain't been hungry in so long. We can't even figure out what restaurant we want to go spend the most money on and waste our money eating out. When we're, you ought to just be happy you got food in the freezer and food on the table. But we are long past those days. Friends, we need to be careful with what we love and what draws our heart. Friends, the other thing he says, and this is the one I want to focus on for a minute, but you, old man of God, must follow certain things. You see, you've got to flee some stuff, but it don't do you no good to flee the bad stuff if you're not going to turn and pursue and follow after the good stuff. Turning from sin is only half of repentance. Turning from sin is the beginning of repentance, but when repentance is complete and it's the lifestyle that God's looking for you that changes you, you turn from sin and you turn to God. And you turn from following the world and you follow Jesus. And you turn from that lifestyle and you turn to the kingdom lifestyle. That's what you got to follow. Pursue, O oh man of God. Flee these things and pursue. Pursue what? Pursue righteousness. When's the last time you got on your face and said, God, help me with my righteousness. I don't have any. Lord, help me with godliness. I'm so worldly lord grow my faith lord help me to be more loving lord i'm so impatient i never persevere i can't endure i give up lord help me to be more gentle spirited let's just look at this for a minute what's he talking about paul said follow after this man of god righteousness involves your personal integrity your righteousness is not what we think you are your righteousness is what you are when you're by yourself and no one's watching. Your personal righteousness is your true character. And friends, I don't know if you're figuring this out. I got a feeling our president and his family might be figuring it out. Sooner or later, your sins will find you out. Can I get an amen? You can't hide bad character. Character is not reputation. Character is who you are in the eyes of God and yourself. When it's just you. But friends, he says also pursue godliness. Well, what's the difference between righteousness and godliness? Well, righteousness is mainly looking at your integrity. Godliness involves your personal piety. It's your daily conduct. It's your habitual way of behaving. That's what your godliness is. Godliness is something we can see. Godliness is something the world can observe. A godly man is going to look godly. Can I get an Amen. He's going to show not 
that he's perfect, but on a daily basis, the piety of the relationship and the religion that's active in his life is going to bear fruit that is good. And friends, not only that, but he says that we are to pursue, that's follow after with all of our heart, love. What kind of love is he talking about? The unconditional agape love of God. The love that loves people no matter what. Listen to this. It involves sacrificing yourself for the sake of others. You're never more like Jesus than when you forgive someone. You're never more like Jesus than when you help someone who doesn't deserve to be helped. That lady at the well had messed up more times than you would ever want to count. But Jesus was able to change her life because he didn't look at what she wasn't. He focused upon what she could be. And he loved her. And he held her to the truth. He told her what her situation looked like. But he said, if you'll drink some of my water, you'll never thirst again. You'll be changed forever. That's what God does. Love does that. Friends, listen to this. It's love that seeks to give instead of get. Lord knows we got way too many takers and way not enough givers in the world. Godly people are givers. Patience. What's he talking about there? Patience, when you pursue that, involves endurance and not giving in to doubt and unbelief. Oh, we got enough chicken littles in the church. Oh, God, the sky is falling. Oh, COVID. Oh, inflation. Oh, oh, it's the end of the world. Friends, let me tell you something. When you walk with God and you pursue patience, you, 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 you're patiently endure and you persevere through troubles and trials. And you don't fall. You don't falter into unbelief and despair. Think about this. Patience endures and overcomes despair. Man, there's so many of us today that live in despair and discouragement and depression in the world today. We need some men of God to stand up again and remind us that there's a God in heaven that's got all this in control. And finally, this one here is gentleness, which is also translated in some of your Bibles as meekness. Meekness is not looked upon as something good to have in our world, is it? Who wants a meek husband? Well, what meekness is when you look at it biblically, meekness involves the meekness to allow God to be in control. So instead of trying to do it in your power, you let his power do it. it, it it's, it's defined like a horse. A horse, when you get on a horse, he has the power to throw you off. But you, even though you don't have that power, when you get on a horse that's broke, a horse that's submissive, he lets you ride him. He takes all of his power and he submits it to you. We've got power. You can choose to do it yourself. You can choose to be headstrong. You can choose to fix it yourself. But meekness is gentle enough to say, Lord, even though I can do this, I'm going to trust you. We got a big problem with letting God fix our loved ones. We got parents that won't let kids get right with God because they're trying to fix them. They won't turn them over to Jesus. We got spouses trying to fix one another. Friends, I'll tell you what, it takes a meek, gentle, spirited person to turn something that they love over to God and trust him and not themselves to protect it, to provide for it, to take care of it. It's a meek person who allows God to do it instead of himself. I know as a pastor... I'm always wanting to butt in in God's business. Amen? God says, if you'd leave him alone, I'd do something. If you'd get out of their way, 
I'd change this person. Friends, sometimes the biggest hindrance to seeing God do something extraordinarily supernatural is us. We try to do what we can do in our natural power and get in the way of his supernatural power. Meekness says, Lord, I'm not going to try anymore. I give up. I'm waiting on you. The Bible says that Moses was the meekest man, but he was an unbelievable, powerful leader because he was meek. And friends, listen, that's what God says we are to pursue, those type things. How do you pursue it? He means follow after it with all you got. Pursue after it until you have attained it. It reminds me of Paul. The Apostle Paul had these qualities. That's why he could write about them and tell Timothy about them. And you know what he told the Philippian church? Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. And listen to what he says, brethren, do not, I do not count myself as apprehended it, but one thing I do, I forget those things which are behind me, my victories and my failures, and I'm reaching forward to those things which are ahead of me. I'm following after them. I'm pursuing them. I'm pressing on with all I got, like an athlete running for the finish line, like a fighter trying to make it through that last round. He's going to fight with everything he's got. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God that is in Christ Jesus. What is that? To be like him? To be a man of God and a woman of God? But you know what? It don't matter how well we start. We've all, like Timothy, made a public profession of faith. We've all made the great confession in the presence of many people. But it ain't how well you start this race. It's how well you finish this race. Because the man of God will stay with it to the end. He'll run hard. He'll flee. He'll fight. And that's what we got to understand. But you, old man of God, must finish. You got to finish the race, my friend, or you can never win. Look at what he told him. I almost made two points here, but I figured I'd be running out of time by this many points, so I left one out. But I'm going to go ahead and tell you. You also got to stay focused, man of God. That's what Garden what was committed to your trust is it's staying focused. I'm saved. I have eternal life. I'm a child of God. I need to live like one. I need to stay focused. I need to keep pursuing and following after the things of God. I need to keep fleeing. I need to stay in the fight. But friends, listen. Also, you got to finish well because listen what he says. He says, avoiding profane and idle babblings, contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge because by professing it, some have strayed concerning the truth. One translation says that some have fallen away from the truth. And friends, I don't know about you, but if you stray, if you fall away, you won't finish. I think of Paul, but you, old man of God, he said, finish well, Timothy. Be careful. Guard what you have. You got to be focused. You got to be determined. You got to stay in the fight because listen what he says. Finishing well, you know when this was. This was Paul. Paul was in his next book in 2 Timothy. He was fixing to be martyred for his faith. He was in prison. They were fixing to behead him. And he says, Timothy, for I'm already being poured out as a drink offering in time of my departure is at hand. But look what Paul said. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Friends, that's how you finish. That's how you, a man of God or a woman of God does. They fight the good fight until the end. Man, I'm going to tell you what, way too many of us think when you get older in church that you can retire. Show me retirement in the Bible. 
show me where it says you can quit. Man, I was praying and thinking about the people that I've watched that serve. And just yesterday, my little mama, she went to a wedding last week because it was Brother Eddie who had served with her when she was the secretary at Trinity Heights for five years. And she said, I'm invited to the wedding and I got to go. He ministered with me. They went all the way to the wedding. They got stuff when they was at the wedding. They'd been working for two weeks to have a yard sale, a junk sale that everybody was getting. And she was over because she started the women's ministry at their little church because they didn't have one. And she got it started. They said, we can't afford to do all this stuff you want to do. My little mama said, well, we'll have a yard sale. We'll get the money. So she gets off. She's working herself, driving back and forth. She's 79 years old. So she gets back from that. She works all week on that. And they start revival this morning. And she's at my house last night. I was thinking about it. Boy, I bet she don't want to cook when they get home. They've been at this yard sale all day. So I call her. I said, how'd the yard sale go? Oh, it went good. We made $1,000. We're going to be able to do all of our women's ministry. Oh, praise God. She said, well, why would y'all like to come eat with us? Diane made a pot of beans. I'm going to fry some backstrap. Oh, yes, they come to the house. She's all wore out. She's sitting in the chair. And so she eats, and she's telling us all about the church and the plans. And you know what she says? She says, I ain't bragging, but this old lady can outwork all them young women. They pitiful. <laughs> and then she's laying there. I said, we got to go, Roy. I'm tired. <laughs> And then you know what she says? Because I got to get home and study my Sunday school lesson. She taught Sunday school this morning. Friends, 79 and still running the race. That's what we all ought to do. I thank God for a mama that's showing me how to do it. Amen. There ain't no retirement. There ain't no quit. There ain't no woe is me. You quit when you see Jesus. Amen. You quit when he says the race is through. You fight to the end. You stand and keep the faith to the end. And you run the race till the race is over. Can I get an amen? Because you know why that's important? Because one day every one of us is going to meet Jesus Christ at his glorious appearing. You know what he said after that? Listen to this verse. Paul told Timothy. He said, Timothy, my departure is at hand. This is in 2 Timothy. He said, but I've kept the faith. I've fought the good fight. I finished the race. And listen to what he says. Finally. You ever felt like that? Finally. I say that all the time on Monday. Finally, Lord. When are you coming? Finally, today would be a good day, Lord. <laughs> Here lately, though, I've been celebrating Sunday, Mondays. Amen? We've been having some blessings. But, friends, sometimes you do feel like, when is this race going to end? When is this fight going to be over? When is this difficult fight going to pay off? Listen to what Paul said. Finally, Timothy. Man, I think of that day. There is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me. And on that day, and not to me only, but to all those who love his appearing. There's a lot of people who want Jesus to come because they want, you, they want life to be getting easier. They think, if Jesus comes, it'll be over. It'll be easy. <laughs> the reason you ought to be wanting Jesus to come because it is hard down here. That's true. But friends, listen to what Paul described when he wrote this in the text we're in. 
He said, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold of your eternal life to which you were called. I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to all things before Christ Jesus who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate that you keep this commandment without spot, blameless until what? Our Lord Jesus Christ appearing. Can you imagine what that's going to be like? Look at what he says. Which he will manifest in his own time who is the blessed and only potentate. Anybody know what a potentate is? They called, the Catholics called the Pope the most high potentate. Well, I got news for them. One day, the Pope and everyone who's ever been the Pope is going to kneel to this potentate. He's going to kneel and he's going to confess with his lips that Jesus Christ is the most high potentate. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. Not only will he, but every atheist, everybody that's ever stood on this earth will one day meet him at that time. Look at what he goes on and says, who alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen. You know what's going to matter on that day? It's not going to matter if you was a man of wealth. It's not going to matter anymore if you was a man of popularity and fame. If you was a man of high intelligence, what's going to matter is was you a man of God. You're going to forget about everything else when you see him, there's no greater reason to strive to be a man of God than that one day we will see him and he will see us and we will be rewarded for what we live. This ain't no game called church. This is heaven and hell. This is the kingdom of God and serving the king. Today, I just want to thank everybody here who strives to be a man of God and lives a life that God can use. The good news is anybody here today can be saved by his grace. It doesn't matter how ungodly you are, he can make you godly. You know what I love about God? He finds some of the most ungodly, the most least likely candidates, and he goes and finds them and says, come and follow me. Levi, a tax collector, who got turned into Matthew. Peter, an old foul-mouthed fisherman. <laughs> All fishermen cuss when they lose their fish unless they got Jesus. <laughs> no, nah, I'm joking. He turned Peter into an apostle too. Paul, who said by his own mouth, I was an insolent, murderous man who blasphemed the church of God, whose name was Saul, an old religious, legalistic Pharisee. But when Jesus met him on the Damascus Road, he turned him into the Apostle Paul, the Apostle of Grace, one of the greatest soul winners in the history of the church. Friends, let me tell you something. God will change you into the man of God or into a woman of God if you'll just give in to God. Today, he wants to save people. He wants to change people that are saved, and he wants to make us into something. When the world sees it, they said, that ain't a religious person. That's a godly man. That's a righteous man. That's a man who's different. His heart is different. That's how he told Timothy to live. I'm inviting you to embrace it. We're going to stand. We're going to have a time of invitation. How do you get saved? You just admit you're a sinner and you come to God. Turn, flee the things that's been doing that ain't of God. Pursue and follow God. Give your heart to Jesus and follow him this morning. Just say, I'm going to come, Lord, and make the good confession in front of everyone. And he'll draw you to him.
I'm asking you today just to obey God. But folks, listen. The world as we know it today is in great need of godly men and godly women. And I know that there's a difference that one can make when we let God have our life. So I'm going to invite you to do that today. Father in heaven, as we take time to this, respond to this invitation, we want to thank you for, Lord, the wisdom, the life of Paul, for the example we see of how he ministered to Timothy. And, Lord, for the opportunity that we can take these things and apply them to our life and be men and women of God. Father, I pray today that you'll move on this service, that you'll draw people to yourself, and that we'll leave here more determined to be men of God and women of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.